The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. 42nd Boyd. As a military aviator, he was exceptional. From a starting point that had him at a disadvantage, when the combat lessons started, 40 seconds was how long it took him to get behind you for the kill. His skill at air combat was legendary, but it was far from his only talent or nickname come to that. At various times in his career, he was also known as Genghis John, a reference to his confrontational manner. The Mad Major, for the intensity of his commitment to his beliefs, and the Ghetto Colonel, because of his Spartan lifestyle and his habit of shunning personal wealth and private gain for service to his country. The man was John Richard Boyd, a fighter pilot who would never claim an operational kill but whose theories concerning warfare would make him one of the most influential military minds of the 20th century. He was born on the 23rd of January 1927 in Erie, Pennsylvania. While still at junior high school, he enlisted in the Army Air Corps and after his graduation, in the last months of the Second World War, he completed his basic training and skill training as an aircraft turret mechanic. For the next few years, Boyd served in Japan, where he attained the rank of sergeant, and he continued to serve in the Air Force Reserve until he finished college. He graduated from the University of Iowa in 1951 with a bachelor's degree in economics and later earned a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from Georgia Tech. Boyd started his Air Force career in ROTC, and by 1953 he had completed his pilot training and was serving in Korea as an F-86 pilot. By the time he was able to go on operational missions, the conflict was near its conclusion, and he was only able to fly as a wingman, so he never had an opportunity to fire his weapons in anger. This didn't, however, prevent his career from progressing, as his skill and tactical acumen had been recognised. When he returned to the United States, he was invited to attend the Air Force's prestigious school for fighter pilots, the Fighter Weapons School. He passed the course at the top of his class, and was asked to remain on the staff as a flight instructor. It was in this role that he gained the reputation of being able to best his students in a mere 40 seconds. His favourite manoeuvre for this contest was to place his student behind his wing line and then fly a high G barrel roll, killing his forward progress and forcing his adversary in front. Once there, he would call the kill, Guns, guns, guns! Fans of Boyd laud him for this, although his detractors often wonder why an instructor defeating his students using an oft-repeated manoeuvre is noteworthy, much less a point worth bragging about. 
The fact was that he was an exceptionally skilled pilot. That was never questioned. This diversity of praise and condemnation was something that would mark his life. For many, his achievements and original thinking are so worthy of praise that they will hear nothing bad said against him. Others are less convinced. However you consider him, dear listener, there is little doubt that he was going to challenge orthodoxy, including fighter tactics and the theory of how wars were to be fought, inspiring radically different opinions. He had the courage to state his views and defend them, regardless of the consequence. During the Korean War, although the F-86 Sabre was considered less capable than the MiG-15 that they fought, the Sabre had a 10 to 1 advantage in kills, although recent assessments show that figure to be closer to 5 to 1, Regardless of the numbers, Boyd thought he understood why the American forces had done so well. He believed it was down to two crucial advantages. Better visibility and a faster roll rate. He expanded his theory and developed his understanding of the mathematics behind it, and when his skill with numbers let him down, he taught himself calculus in his spare time. The key to victory, he believed, was not a plane that could climb faster or higher, but one that could begin climbing or change course quicker and get inside an adversary's time cycle loop, as he described it. He expanded this combat theory into a lecture that he delivered hundreds of times, teaching that it was the pilot who could assess a combat situation faster and then change the direction of his aircraft more quickly, who would end up winning. He was put in charge of the fighter school's academic section where he rewrote the school's tactics manual, working out the mathematical formulas that explained the aerial manoeuvres that fighter pilots would need to fly and led to his 1960 report, Aerial Attack Study, a Bible of air-to-air combat that is studied by many to this very day. Boyd completed his tour at Nellis and enrolled at Georgia Tech to study for his second degree. Talking about his aerial attack study, he said, One day I'll have a breakthrough on this. And that's exactly what happened. In 1961, Boyd was having a beer and a burger with a fellow student one night while studying for an exam in thermodynamics. He was talking about being a fighter pilot in Korea and what it was like to fly an F-86 down MiG Alley. Suddenly, what he had learned about thermodynamics meshed with all the knowledge he had gained as a fighter pilot and he had something of an epiphany that became his energy maneuverability EM theory. The idea, at its simplest, was to devise a method to determine the specific energy of an aircraft. If he could work out a way to accurately quantify the performance of an aircraft, then the data could be used to mathematically compare different aircraft types. In the beginning, the entire thrust of his theory was to understand the full performance envelope of an American aircraft, with the goal of developing new tactics for aerial battles. 
Then he realized that if EM could quantify the performance of an American aircraft, it could, for the first time, do the same for threat aircraft, such as the MiGs and Sukhois flown by the Soviets. Finally, if EM could quantify aircraft performance, why couldn't he use the theory to design fighter aircraft? The idea could change the whole direction of military aviation. In the past, when pilots thought of manoeuvring, they thought strictly in terms of airspeed. Good pilots intuitively understood energy, although they couldn't articulate it. In World War II, for instance, they knew never to get in a turning fight with the Japanese Zero. In Korea, never turn with a MiG. Now, thanks to EM, they could look at a chart and know exactly where an aircraft excelled and where they had an advantage over an adversary. They could see how many Gs they could pull at a given altitude, what their turn performance would be, and where they had good excess energy. Boyd's ideas were revolutionary, and the senior officers of the day were populated by a military establishment gripped by the Eisenhower Doctrine and the massive retaliation approach to war. Bigger, higher, faster, further was the mantra for aircraft design. A constantly airborne fleet with the ability to deliver even bigger nuclear bombs on targets across the globe. He wasn't helped by his abrasive attitude when talking to those who stood in the way of his modern concepts. He said, you got to challenge all assumptions. If you don't, what is doctrine on one day becomes dogma forever. Boyd was guided in his work by one simple principle. He wanted to give pilots a fighter that would outmaneuver the enemy. He knew it must have a high thrust-to-weight ratio if it were to have neck-snapping acceleration. He knew it had to have lots of wing in order to manoeuvre quickly into the firing envelope. It had to have the energy to disengage, go for separation, then come back into the fight with an advantage. And it had to have the fuel to penetrate deep into enemy territory and sustain a prolonged fight. If some of the Air Force's most senior officers were closing their ears to this maverick, there were others who immediately saw the value of what Boyd had to say. Assigned to the Pentagon in 1964, Boyd became an important figure in a movement that started in response to the $400 hammers and other headline excesses of the Defence Department spending and soon expanded to question the need for many hugely expensive weapons systems. Although he had allies in the Pentagon, Congress and business, Boyd's ideas often went against the grain of a military-industrial bureaucracy devoted to the procurement of the most advanced, most expensive and, not coincidentally, the aircraft most profitable to the industry. Whilst he had his opponents, he built up strong support from men such as Colonel Everest Riccioni and Pierre Spray, Ray Leopold, Chuck Spinney, Jim Burton and Tom Christie as well. They were to become part of the fighter mafia, and it was their influence in the Pentagon that went a long way to see Boyd's ideas accepted by the mainstream of Air Force policy men. 
His concepts gained ground, and by the time I was flying the Phantom in the late 70s, it was part of my world as well. I had no idea who gave rise to the myriad of graphs held in my tactical manuals, but in the quiet of a study room, I could open the big safe that held our most secret books and sign them out. Opening the pages, I could imagine myself in combat, with a MiG-21 fishbed, or perhaps a Sukhoi Su-17 fitter, and there were the energy diagrams of both types, side by side. I could see where I might have an advantage in turning ability, G, or perhaps acceleration, what height was best to fight, or the worst come to that. These manuals gave me the key to fighting my aircraft, against Allied aircraft as well, and I went into every engagement with the numbers in my mind so I knew what I had to do with my aircraft to prevail. Boyd's theories went a long way to influence the next generation of fighter aircraft that the USAF were to demand. The fighter mafia talked a reluctant Air Force into building the F-16 and A-10, small, relatively cheap, yet highly effective aircraft, that were temporary departures from the trend towards more expensive, complex weapons. Boyd also tried to have the F-15 project altered to shrink the aircraft and have a lot of its sophisticated technologies reduced or even gutted completely with the aim of making it more suited to air-to-air combat. Not all of his ideas were necessarily aimed in the right direction, as anyone who has faced a wall of eagles will attest. After leaving the Air Force as a colonel in 1975, Boyd began a study of historical trends in military success, and through his studies he perhaps made his greatest mark. He taught himself much through reading. He worked through accounts of battles, starting with the Peloponnesian War of Sparta and Greece. On his Air Force pension, he lived modestly, working from a small book-crammed apartment. He presented his findings in briefings, which came in varying lengths, starting at four hours. Boyd refused to discuss his views with those who would not sit through a whole presentation. To him, they were, in his opinion, amateurs. To those who listened, he offered a world view in which crucial military qualities, adaptability and innovation grew from moral strengths and other warrior virtues. Yes-men, careerists, by-the-book thinkers, and the military's budget-orientated culture of procurement were his greatest hates. It was during this period that Boyd came up with, arguably, his most important and wide-reaching legacy. He developed a decision-making cycle that allowed military combatants to make important choices faster than their opponents, thereby gaining the upper hand. It was simply known as the OODA loop, and it stands for Observation, use your senses to get data. Orientation, analyze the data based on your situation. Decision, determine a course of action based on your perspective. Action play out the decision. The Uda loop has become an important concept in litigation, business, law enforcement, sport and military strategy, to name just a few. 
It has been described as a way to explain the nature of surprise and shaping operations in a way that unifies gestalt physiology, cognitive science and game theory in a comprehensive theory of strategy. Boyd continued to influence and advise the military, particularly the U.S. Marine Force in the wake of their experiences in Vietnam and more recently Dick Cheney during the Gulf War. Whilst many valued his opinions and theories, former fighter pilot and USAF Chief of Staff General Merrill McPeak summarised the opposing view. Boyd was highly overrated, he opined. In many respects, he was a failed officer and even a failed human being. He was the type of person who challenged authority and fought for what he believed. He was also the kind of person that was so profoundly insecure that he stalked and physically assaulted people who he perceived had not shown him proper respect. If Boyd had been less pugnacious, less cocksure, and if he had not end-run the system constantly and played by the rules, he might have had an easier path. But then he may not have been so successful either. Revolutions are not started or won by moderates. They need zealots committed to the cause. Boyd was passionately committed to being the best he could be. He was devoted to the Air Force and its mission, air superiority with the best aircraft, training the best pilots and developing the best military strategy. To fly, fight and win. He just happened to be convinced that the Air Force had it all wrong. Understandably, the Air Force did not appreciate being told so. Put it this way, how many active duty colonels do you think could get away with burning a hole in a general's tie with his cigar? Yes, that is one of the many things he did and got away with. Boyd died of cancer in 1997 and was recognised shortly after his death with the naming of a building at Nellis Air Force Base for him. Colin Gray, the distinguished British academic and the most quoted author about strategy since Clausewitz, bestowed an eulogy on Boyd praising his concept of the OODA loop saying that it may appear too humble to merit categorization as a grand theory, but that is what it is. It has an elegant simplicity, an extensive domain of applicability, and contains a high quality of insight about strategic essentials, such that its author well merits honorable mention as an outstanding general theorist of strategy. Boyd has been studied over the years at various USAF professional military education schools, most notably as part of the curriculum of the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies. If you enjoyed this story, then please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to return the favour. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. Find us at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs>